what would you do if there was a timeline? What would you do? Yeah. It doesn't have to be big, but it has to be something meaningful. And I think that we get so caught up in the mundane, yeah, in the day by day, in the acceptance that is this all there is. Welcome to My Movie Story. I'm your host, Brian McAleer. This is the podcast where we dive into the movies that have shaped us. Each episode, we sit down with a special guest to discuss their all-time favorite film, the movie that changed their life, and the one film they think everyone needs to see. Get ready as we journey through the cinematic worlds that make us who we are. This is My Movie Story. Carmen Leal is a storyteller and the author of multiple books, articles, devotionals, and human interest stories. Carmen relocated from Hawaii to Wisconsin, where she and her husband have become reluctant gardeners. She is the mother of two sons, two incredible grandsons, and Coconut, the best imperfectly perfect rescue dog in the world. You can learn more about Carmen and her dog Coconut by visiting CarmenLeal.com. Welcome, Carmen, to my movie story. How are you today? I am fantastic, and I have been waiting for this. I'm so glad we connected because I yeah. love movies. And I love your passion. Thank you. For movies. Yes. Yeah, it's really it, fun. it is a passion, you know, and... and uh, Passion by definition actually means to to suffer, and um, I have suffered through many bad movies, but um, <laughs> but I love I, I do love movies. Like it's it, you know um, they are very central to me in my life, and 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 to you as well. It sounds like, and we've had some prior conversations before this episode, and and your passion for these movies and for lots of different topics really shines through as well. So I've been really looking forward to this conversation as well and I know you've got a, a lot to share but um yeah before we get stuck into your movies Carmen tell us a little bit more about yourself and I'm, I'm really keen to hear about you know what took you from Hawaii to Wisconsin like it's almost like two different worlds isn't it but you know it wasn't anything good <laughs> we were I worked for Expedia that little tiny company you may have heard of uh, yes. and I was a concierge so I was the person that was at the hotel desk and when the tourists came up, I'd say, aloha, can I get you a luau or a helicopter ride? Or, And we've shared this. My absolute favorites were the Aussies because they travel in packs and they're not afraid to spend money. And I was on commission. So I always loved it. Loved it, loved <laughs> yeah. it, loved it. We do make and good it was travels, a really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a really fun job. I, I, Hawaii was just my heart, home of my heart. And unfortunately, we came home from the beach one day. We were at a stoplight. And a giant SUV slammed into us. We were stationary. We hit another oh SUV, two more cars. It ended up being, you know, news at 10, five-car pileup on the highway. I thought I was fine. It totaled our car, called my son, um, who was living at the time. He came and picked us up, and they towed it away. And I woke up the next day with a headache. And I've had a headache since June 18th, 2015. And I, it was a really bad wreck, the kind that you don't see. Mm. So while I was sitting in the car and I did the whiplash thing, I don't know if my head hit the phone or the phone hit my head. I was the passenger texting. And as my younger son says, my mother, the only person whose smartphone made her dumber because it literally left a hole inside my brain. Jeez. and. Mm. There was some significant damage. So I was brain damaged, had a moderate frontal and temporal lobe brain damage. And I was so incredibly suicidal. I I just, and I worked and I had to be nice yeah. to people. And I realized there were three outcomes of this job. I could go to jail for assault because some people could be stupid <laughs> when you're doing in-person customer service. Yeah. Or I was going to get fired because I was going to get mouthy. Or I was going to kill myself. And mm. the killing myself was the best option I saw. Yeah. My doctor back home kept saying, get a dog. I don't do dogs. I don't do dogs. Because it's going to change everything. I could not understand how a dog would change everything. But I could understand if I did not work, I could not sustain, sustain life living there. And so my son had moved to Wisconsin. He met a girl and he went to law school here. And so we 
reluctantly, very reluctantly moved here. I do not recommend moving from sunny Hawaii to gloomy Wisconsin in March. It was a very stupid timing, but we are here. <laughs> we bought a house built in 1875, so that's been an adventure. Right. And I did go and I adopted a dog. I don't use the word rescue because honestly, my dog rescued me. And my dog Beautiful. is the reason I am alive. And Beautiful. I know people tell you that story, but I will tell you that is that is why we moved here. That is why I write. I volunteered for the shelter for four years before they closed because of COVID. And in those four years, I wrote bios and did all the marketing, became the face of the shelter and wrote 6,500 bios wow. and found them all. So it is a passion. Yes. Um, People think I'm an animal activist. I absolutely am not. I do what I do because if we keep killing dogs, and I would imagine you probably have the same problem. Yeah. If we don't spay and neuter dogs, if we don't give them microchips and the dogs go and they get killed, when people like me need a dog because we're suicidal or autistic children or shut-ins or any number of people whose mm -hmm. dog changed their lives, if we keep killing them, then people like me can't afford a purebred dog and we kill ourselves. So I'm really doing it for the people who need the dog. Yeah. But the dogs are the beneficiaries. So that is why I do what I do. Amazing. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear of that awful accident. Yeah, well, Someone was definitely looking over you that day. And, and you know, you're here. You had, you know, for a reason. And you've done great work since then and turned it into such a positive well yeah. done, yeah. And and I can't agree with you more about the love and loyalty of dogs and the, the healing power that they have, you know, just just their presence, you know, and, and as much as sometimes they drive us nuts and they chew our socks and eat our house plants and all of that stuff, like you, you couldn't imagine life without them, you know. We, oh, got, gosh, a, no. we got a little dog no. nearly two years ago and he definitely brightens up our days and um, he's uh, just turned two recently. So he's technically a teenager in dog years now. So he's He's kind of got that teenage boy attitude and eats like a teenager as well. Oh gosh, <laughs> but, yes. But he's great. Like he just lightens up our day and runs into the girls' rooms in the morning, jumps on the bed to wake him up and stuff. And yeah, we couldn't imagine going back to a life without a dog, really. Um, oh no, no. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. The way I write these books, I'm working on book two now, but I get stories. So I figure I'm kind of boring because I only had my one dog. Yeah, we had dogs growing up and I wasn't a big dog person. But I thought, how can I write a book about a dog, about dogs when I've only had the one? So what I do is I would tell your story or somebody else's story. And so this first book has 44 other people where mm -hmm. I, similar to what you do with your movies, but I do it in writing. Awesome. And so... I'm able to tell stories about three-legged dogs and dogs with epilepsy and what's it like having a puppy. And so it's really <laughs> fun interacting with people and sharing their stories so awesome. that anybody who opens yeah. a book yeah. sees their dog in it or an yeah. experience. That's yeah. cool. Well, talking about books, you've written 11 in total. So can you quickly share some of the topics or yeah. titles of your you know, books? I, I have had a lot of awful things happen to me. You know, I don't know why some people just seem to gravitate toward horribleness, even when they do nothing to make it happen. So the first book I wrote, my husband was diagnosed with a disease that has, you have a lot of this in Australia, and it's called Huntington's disease. So we were, we were married for, on our third wedding anniversary, he came home with this terminal brain diagnosis. Oh. He was a stepfather to my kids. I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm running a business. Then I became a caregiver, something I don't enjoy whatsoever. I don't think anybody does when it's a loved one. And um, there were no books written about this from the family's point of view. And so I said, I want to write the book that I wish I had when I got the news. So I had never written a book. I knew nothing. Now I had a marketing firm. I wrote a lot of copy. I was a copywriter. Yeah. So writing wasn't foreign to me, but I wrote a book and it sold all over Australia and New Zealand. I went to England, Ireland, Scotland, and Canada. And wow. you know, it just did well. And then I wrote a second one, and then I wrote a book about marketing, and I wrote a series of books for uh, based on uh 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. 
So for caregivers, for those who grieve, for single parents. So what I do is I take all those awful experiences that have sadly happened. And I try and find the joy and the hope and the healing that comes from outside of me. Because on my own, I could never have gone through what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. Because you're not writing a journal, right? So you need to have, like, I broke all the rules on the Huntington's book because I was still going through it. <laughs> but yeah. I use the same format for all my books. I just go to smarter people than me. People who have been doing this, people who are caregivers or people who have the disease, people who are at risk. I don't I don't know very much about these things. So I go find people who are better than me. Right. When I write, right? Yeah. But I think that when we're writing our own personal story, when we're still processing it, it's just not right. Yeah. And then it becomes angst, right? So I think that the challenge when we go through difficult things and we want to write a book or write music or whatever you want to do, that creative outlet to get it out of us, we need to do it once we're on the other side. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not worth reading. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah. well, look, let's dive into your movies, shall we, Carmen? And I'm sure you're the, you know, the writing and everything else will, will pop up in there. I'm, I'm pretty certain at some point for you um, with these three films you're going to talk about, one of which I had seen and two I hadn't, which you've introduced me to. So thank you for that. And we're going to start with the um, film that you consider changed you or changed your life in some way. Um, so if you'd like to tell us the name of that film, a little bit of a summary about it. And yeah, why was it such a life changer for you? All right. Well, first of all, all three of these films, they all came out around the same time. So these are 90s films. Um, this film stars the woman who I want to play me in my biopic. <laughs> but I became so famous for getting a biopic. It stars Queen Latifah. And if you've never heard her music, we know her as a rapper, but she's actually a phenomenal jazz singer. Mm. So if you did not know that, go on to Spotify or Amazon or whatever and Google Queen Latifah Jazz and you'll be blown away. All right, I will. And the, yeah. movie, the movie is called Last Holiday. From Paramount Pictures. Ooh, I've been waiting my whole life to do something like this. You're invited. <laughs> Slow down! On a holiday. I got a gut feeling about that woman, she's trouble. Fit for a queen. I'm going base jumping tomorrow, Bob. Joe, what are you doing here? Queen Latifah. Next time, we will laugh more, we'll love more. We just won't be so free. Last holiday. Wait, I gotta use the bathroom. Awesome. And on the surface, it's just a little romantic comedy. It's a bit of fluff. And when I tell people how much I love this movie, they look at me like, what? <laughs> I relate to her because she's a big girl. And yet, she's got confidence. Mm. Not in the movie in the beginning, but in life. She is absolutely a triple threat. No, she's a comedian. She's a singer. She's an actress. And she just seems like a really kind person. So what your audience doesn't know is I am an actress and I am a singer. And sometimes I can't be funny. So I kind of relate to her. (laughs) The the character, Georgia Bird is her name. And she lives in New Orleans, which is where my dad was born. So I have that connection. The other thing about her is, unlike me, she's very shy. She's very retiring. She works at a department store and she demos cookware and she sells. But instead of just talking about it, she does cooking classes and she makes phenomenal food. I am also a cook. And so I related to her just from my own personal experience. And I think that when we watch movies, if we can relate to those characters, because we've been in that situation, we've lived in that place, we've eaten that food, it it becomes more a part of us. Mm. So the setup for me was so good because of location, 
her hobbies, her passions, and the fact she, she really hated her job and hated her boss. Yeah. And I think we have all hated jobs, hated bosses. Oh, yeah. We're just getting <laughs> through the day. Yeah. Because that's where we're at right now. I'm, you know, your audience, sorry, guys, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, because <laughs> as I was saying to you before this, we started our little official chat, I don't mind spoiler alerts because really movies are all about the journey to the destination. Yeah. So these kind of movies, they have a beginning, a middle, and end. That it is a destination, but it's the journey. Absolutely. That we're going to go through. And each of us can see that movie and the journey is different every time you see it because mm. we're different. You pick up because on something we, different each time, don't right? you? And yeah. so I, I love this movie and I honestly can't tell you exactly what I was going through at the time, but I can tell you it was probably pretty crappy just because I've had a lot of stuff happen in my life. Sure. So the plot is that Georgia Bird hates her job. She works in, oh, here's a really funny, I love looking at goofs. So there's a part of there where they're showing the outside of the store and it says Dillard's. <laughs> it's not Dillard's, it's a fake store, but I'm sure oh. it was filmed at Dillard's. Oh, right, gotcha. Yeah. So she's got a boss who is just a horrible human being, mm-hmm. treats her badly. Yep, bit of a joke. And she's got a, a crush on a coworker. The most adorable part LL Cool J has ever played with that killer smile of his. He was quite and good she, in this, actually. He's, he's wasn't quite he a good right? actor. He's quite a good oh, actor. He was yeah. wonderful. And, yeah. you know, they, they like each other, but they don't tell. So she's got all of her secret passions and she keeps them in a book. And she cuts out recipes and pictures and, and she's building the life that she wished she had. Mm. And I think we do that. So many of us do that. We don't live the life that we wish, but we kind of build that in different ways. Yep. And part of that is uh, putting her head on a bride's body and next to Ella Cool J, and that's her, uh, her secret. Kind of like a vision and book or like a dream book. It's a vision book, right? And yeah. it's a uh, possibilities book. Yeah. Possibilities. Which is a nice idea. Yeah. And I think that's a lovely idea. And so a situation happens where she he causes her sort of to fall and she hits her head mm-hmm. and she gets a lump and they rush her to the emergency and this very inept dr gutba does a um cat scan yep and determines that she has lepingen's disease mm. it is lesions all over her brain and she is three weeks to dry three yeah. weeks to, to three weeks and she said, right. what her desire has always been to see Emerald Lagasse because he's from New Orleans, right? But she has a chef that she follows, uh, Chef Didier, played brilliantly by Gerard Depardieu, who is yep. one of the most unattractive men on the list, but he's wonderful. Great, great so character actor, yeah, yeah. A great character actor. So she decides she's going to empty her savings account. She's going to take every penny and she's going to blow it. Yep. she's going to go to Prague. Mm. And this is one of the things I tell you about movies, the journey. When I first saw that movie, I had never been to Prague. Mm. But my son became a foreign exchange student and he lived in Czech Republic for a year. Wow, there you go. And in 2019, the choral group that I sing with, we went to Europe. We sang um, Mozart's Requiem in Vienna. Oh, cool. And then we we did like three or four days in Prague. Amazing. So yeah. when I saw the movie again after I got back, it was a whole new movie. Yeah. Because all the all the buildings, the old buildings are all yellow, mm. which is the color of the monarchy who had them. And yeah. so it became a fresh brand new movie. And in the movie, if you remember, do you remember the name of the hotel? No, sorry. <laughs> the Grand Hotel Poop. Oh, and poop. She's- <laughs> oh y'all really come up that right right i remember now yes <laughs> how could i forget that is a real name that is the name of it google it that yeah. is the name right hotel. like wow <laughs> so she presents herself there and oh we're sorry miss bird the room isn't really the only thing we have is a suite well how much is that i'll do that she flies first class yeah. because she couldn't lead her seat back i'll i'll do that yeah she is blowing every penny she has because she's going to die 
and she's going to live life for the first time in her life. Yep. Yep. And as happens in romantic comedy, there's a bad guy we won't talk about. There are changes in every single character. And she does meet Chef. He he is so entranced by her lust for food, her passion. She orders everything on the menu, which yeah. is really a fun thing. She gets to go and cook with him. She catches the eye of all the important people. And they actually think that she's someone famous, someone special. And for that period of time, she is. She's somebody special for the first time in her entire life. Mm. When Hello Cool J, when, when that character finds out that she left, that she's dying, he gets on a plane. He's terrified of flying. But he goes in for the woman of his dreams. Yeah. And so the rest of them, you know, it's just magic. It is yeah. absolutely romantic comedy yeah. magic. Yeah. But what would you do? If you knew you were dying in three weeks, what would you do? And that's a real question for you. Oh, geez. Well, we've, we've flipped it here. Um, I'll be the guest, okay? <laughs> well, I would basically organize a big get-together with all my family and friends, I think. I would um, probably go to New York City and rent out the most expensive room in the most expensive hotel and spend like a week there just hanging out. And do all this, I think, daredevil stuff. I've already bungee jumped and skydived. I'd probably do that again. I'll go yeah. swimming with sharks. And I would I would try and write a book in, in three weeks. <laughs> Good answer. Okay. So that's it. That's my plan. One of us needs to think. And this is why I love this movie. What would you do if there was a timeline? What would you do? Yeah. It doesn't have to be big, but it has to be something meaningful. And I think that we get so caught up in the mundane, yeah, in the day by day, in the acceptance that is this all there is. Mm. And we accept this and it's not. Yeah. And so I love this movie because she is a force of nature without knowing she is. Mm -hmm. She has a new attitude. She puts people in their place and she's just her. Yeah. And she becomes so radiant and so beautiful. She has a makeover and the big wardrobe and that people gravitate to her. Mm. And the, you know, the, the evil person gets his, what should have happened. His but her goal in her, in her possibilities book, she wanted to open up a restaurant. Yeah. And because she had a diagnosis, and then the doctor figures out it was a malfunction of a machine. She's not sick. Yeah. So instead of getting mad and saying, even I'm not sick, I blew up my money, I quit my job. Yep. She goes back, she gets the guy, he comes yep. all the way to her, <laughs> and she starts a restaurant. Yeah, that's and awesome. Emerald Agassi comes to her grand opening. Bam! That's it. It's, it's, I mean, it comes full circle. Yeah, it's which full is beautiful. Which is beautiful. But I, I just love it because every one of us goes through hard things in life to get to a point where we can see the possibilities. Mm. My story of writing about rescue dogs is such a ridiculous story. In my past, I would never, ever have a dog. I would never devote this amount of time. I would have written something that would have made me a lot more money. Mm. Okay, I would make a lot more money. But you know what's really cool? A portion of every single book I sell goes to one rescue so they can rescue more dogs. That's great. So my readers are mm. rescuing dogs. I'm rescuing dogs. Every talk that I give yeah. in this arena, that's really cool. But it took a bump of the head, a change of my life to look at a possibility I had never explored. That's why I love this movie because we are so full of possibilities. Oh yeah. It does take something that usually happens. You know, in screenwriting, we call it an inciting incident. What is the inciting incident? Mm. And every movie that you've ever loved started. I don't know. Have you ever read the book, um, The Hero's Journey? Oh yes. Yep. Okay. I know that very so well. Hero's, so The Hero's Journey is the inciting incident. Mm -hmm. So what was the exciting incident in every one of his movies? We'll go through it. What was the incident? For her, it was, yeah. you're going to die. Yep. 
what was it for for her uh the guy she loved i can't think of his name right now was the woman i love is going to die Mm. what was it for even the assistant that was sleeping with the boss the horrible person she decided to leave him and i'm going to become an accountant and then when your wife divorces you i will tell her exactly how much she gets i love that line <laughs> and it, yeah. i love that you know the queen uh, georgia says something to the effect of uh i will i will eat more and i will laugh more okay mm. Because she made these fabulous meals and she lived on lean cuisine. Mm. Because she was too outsized for beauty. Right. She always wanted to be someone else she was. Yep. She was a big girl thinking I have to live in a small girl world. Yeah. You know, she's probably size 16 by 18 by US standards. The, you know, people here want to be an eight six she's never gonna be that size i'm never gonna be that size we can eat we can try and eat for health but to live on lean cuisine packaged food when you are a chef is that the most pitiful thing you've ever heard yeah that's just an insult isn't it yeah (laughs) right and so i love the fact that she realized i can my possibilities can come true. They don't need to live in a book. So that's why I like that movie. It's a really fun one. And- yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Beautiful movie last holiday. And I really like the message of it that sometimes, unfortunately, we do have to wait for some really dire circumstances or some tragic event or the, the possibility of something really bad before we're motivated enough to change. Um, I guess it's just human nature. But, you know, she goes and has this amazing holiday, discovers that she's not sick and and starts it really starts her life from that point so it's a, it's a, a great message behind the film i thought yeah it's just yeah. a reminder don't wait yeah don't wait. don't wait you know what, what what's the point in waiting life is short meant to be lived <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. More. yeah yeah fantastic well let's let's go to your next film if we can carmen and um this is the big one and we're gonna we've sort of saved this for a second because i think there's a lot to talk about here and, and unpack from this movie. And this is the one that you consider to be one of your all-time favorites. Uh, and yes, I would love you to tell us the name of that film and why do you love it so much? I'm going to tell you why I love it first. Cool. And then we'll... And we were sharing this before the camera started rolling, mm-hmm. but now your audience is going to say oh she's a liar she's not as old as she says but i will be 70 next year so i have lived a lot of life and looking great by the way (laughs) thank you so the um this movie takes place in the 60s 70s 80s and 90s Mm. so it's a big yeah i was alive for all of that i think that's one reason it resonates with me so is it gets to go backwards to my childhood, my college years, my young adult years. And and those are to see it all in one place is huge. Mm. The other reason I really love it is it's about music. Yep. In high school, I was in every choral group possible. I was in concert choir and stage choir and madrigals. I was a theater nerd. Our school spent as much on the arts back then as they did on sports, which is saying a lot. It doesn't happen. And our theater where we performed rivaled Broadway theaters. So this movie, it's not about vocal music. It's about instrumental music. But it resonated because of that. So between the era and all the, the things that happened Think about the things that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, okay? And Very then the fact that there was music. Mm. And then we have the same kind of, of themes of somebody being stuck in a job he doesn't like. And I and I think that resonates with us all because you've yeah. all been there. So this movie that I, you know, it's really hard when someone says, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite song? What's your favorite book? Uh, I mean, how do we know? But this one, I told you exactly, like, like 
as soon as it came in your mouth, I knew what it was. Yeah. And that movie starring Richard Dreyfus, who did a horrible job directing, he's offbeat, that drove me crazy, <laughs> is Mr. Howard's office. Fantastic. You know, the big problem here is that you people are willing to create a generation of children who will not have the ability to think. We've done the best that we can. Your best is not good enough. For 30 years, Glenn Holland found a way to make a difference. Mr. Russ, congratulations, you found the beat. And of all the lives he changed, the one that changed the most was his own. Mr. Holland, of all the teachers here, you're my favorite. Mr. Holland's Opus. That was a movie you had not yet seen. No, yes, it was on my list. Um, but yes, I had the reason to watch it, so thank you. And <laughs> it's just a wonderful movie. And so for those who have not seen it, um, Glenn Holland, I mean, um, yeah, Mr. Holland, Glenn is his first name, which is interesting because his wife, in the movie is played by Glenn. I can't think of her name. Glenn is no, I can't think of her name. Never mind. Uh, it's Healy or Headley or something like that. Glenn, yeah, Glenn Headley. So yeah. Uh, so I thought it was interesting that they both have Glenn in their yeah, yeah. name. <laughs> so he is a musician and he has this passion in life. Is he's going to write this big opus, this major symphonic work that right. is going to change music. It's going to make him rich. It's going to make him famous. Yep. Any of your viewers and listeners who have done anything with the arts know it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, reality is. Yeah. Now, sure. I have two nephews and a niece by marriage that are all Broadway actors and they're all wow. TV actors. And they've never done anything except that. They got out of college they went to grad school and they worked very hard and that's what they do for a living. But they are not the norm. Mm -hmm. The norm is um, you do a job selling cookware in the store. I mean, you do what you don't want to do sure. because the arts typically don't pay. So he's a young married guy and his wife, oh, she believes in him so much. Mm. And he has this plan. I'm just going to have to work for four years. Yep. I can write my music in nights in weekends, but I'll, I'll just get a job. Mm -hmm. And he gets what he thinks is the worst job ever. He becomes a high school music teacher. <laughs> we know they say I, those who can't do teach and those who can't right. teach teach gym. Exactly. <laughs> and he is a horrible teacher. Yeah. And he doesn't like the kids. He doesn't like being there. And it shows. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't like the assistant principal. They do not get along well no, at all. No, well, he was a, he was and, a bit of a dick, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, a bit, you think? And so <laughs> he is forced to teach something that sucks the lifeblood out of him. Mm. When you've had that kind of job, what does it do to your marriage? What does it do to your relationships? So now there's a little bit of friction there, mm -hmm. but it's only going to be for four years. And I'm going to have nights and I'm going to have weekends. I'm sure some of your viewers and listeners have been school teachers before and you don't ever get nights and weekends off because, oh, we need you to come to the booster club. Mm -hmm. We need you to do marching, man. You yep. want to make some extra money, you can do driver's ed. Yep. You've got reports so to write. You've got assignments to mark, all that stuff. Yep. So all the time that he thought he was going to have because he thought it was a, oh, 730 to 2, that I'm done. No, you're not. And he gets roped in little by little doing more and more tasks. But that's okay because I'm going to write my opus. And he whittles mm. away and he changes and he becomes creative. And there's a great scene where he uses rock and roll to teach. And yeah. the kids are starting to groove on it, right? Yeah, they're getting and into it. Yeah. The assistant principal is like, you can't use that. That's music from Satan, whatever. Yeah, and, and he tells the principal, <laughs> I will use anything from Mozart to rock and roll, whatever it takes to get these kids excited about music. Yeah. That was the moment we knew 
he wasn't going to just mark time. He was going to be a lifer. Yeah. He was, he was invested still, by that point, wasn't he? Yeah. Now he's invested and yeah. he fought. And the principal said, you can do whatever you want. What am I supposed to tell the school board? Mm. And he says that, and she says, I can work with that. Yeah. That so me. for the next 40 years, 30, whatever it is, years, yeah. he has a parade of students. One of the students is a, is a redhead girl. She is awful at clarinet. I mean, she is yep. bad. Yeah, yeah. And, and so very, very said, insecure within herself. And yeah. She's very insecure, but she said, but everybody in my family does something well. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad paints, my mom does this. I'm nothing. A teacher's job is not always and not usually the curriculum. Mm. It's how they connect with students. Yep. You've had those teachers. I've had those teachers. I was that teacher. And he said, come early. Yep. I'll give you lessons. Stay late. She's still not making it. And finally, he said, what do you like about yourself? Yeah. Do you get any joy out of doing Do you even like this? Mm-hmm. What do you like about yourself? And she said, I, I like my hair. And he said, why? My dad says it looks like the sunset. Yeah, she's got beautiful red hair. Yeah, Beautiful hair. And he says to her, close your eyes. You know this music. Close your eyes and play. And she couldn't get to the bridge. She could get a certain amount and then she flopped. Yeah. And needed to get her over that bridge, which I love the fact that that's the musical thing they had to do was over the bridge because we all need to go over a bridge yes but we we need help getting over that bridge Mm -hmm. he says close your eyes play the sunset yeah and she got it she got it her self-esteem and her smile and you could see her become the woman she's going to be so a big part of this movie is the relationship between father and son that's right and the, the major, more, it's really a huge turning point in the story for him and demonstrates the and the cost, the his commitment cost as a father. Yeah. To, to pay for private schools, the cost for specialists. And, you know, women who pay these wives, they don't usually have meaty roles. They, you know, they're just sort of dressing. But there's a great, great thing when she's fighting about, I don't care how you get the money. This is my son. Yeah. This is my son. Mm. It's just an amazing scene. What a yeah. mother will do. You don't get to write my son off. You don't get to say, because he's not you, he's not worthy. And they learn how he can share music. He hears the music through the floor. Yeah, that's right. There's the beats. It is so beautiful. And the all the actors who were deaf in there were deaf. Yes, really, in real life, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was cool that yeah. they did that. And so there's that storyline. And then comes the time when the assistant principal is now principal, and there's money woes, which was happening everywhere, and they cut out theater yeah. and drop. They After him, he's there for 30 years, and all of a sudden it's 30 like, years. you're not needed anymore. Yep. And that happened to teachers all over. I don't know if it happened oh, yeah. in your country. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. You know, and I remember Everybody, he yeah. said, you know, if we were sports, you know, the day you cut the football budget, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be hung so from the goalpost. <laughs> you know, he, he says, I came in here kicking and screaming, and now there's nothing else I'd rather do. Mm-hmm. It's a little box of stuff. Yeah. And he says, what am I supposed to do? I'm 60. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? I'm yeah. 60. And the end of the movie, his wife, now his son, teaches at Gallaudet University. He's, he teaches the uh, hearing impaired. Um, they got through that hump. He's a man to be respected. His wife, his, his marriage is intact. But what are you going to do? You're 60. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So his wife says, let's go to the school. Let's pick up your stuff. Unbeknownst to him, 
there's something going on in the gymnasium. Yeah. And the curtain opens. Beautiful. Yeah. And there are all these students. There's the fat kid who spit out of the tuba into somebody's <laughs> foot. Yeah. There's all yeah. the characters that are all the instrumentalists. And behind his back, his wife has made a copy of Rowena's theme. She's gotten beyond what could have happened to what will happen. And she's made copies. And these children yeah. in high school, all the way up yep. to 40 year olds, 30 year olds, yep. have practiced. And she said, I give to you the first performance of an American symphony. Yes, his opus. And they yeah. play the theme. They play his opus. Yeah. Because and what the an opus, opus isn't about the music. It's about the people yeah. that he touched. Because we are your opus. And he Amazing. knew at that point my life meant something. Yep. It it's all contained in this piece of music. Like you can yes. you can hear the music and how it goes up and it goes down and it's sweeping and it's booming and it's epic. And that that is his life's journey contained in a five minute right. piece of music. How cool is that, right? And it's and it's a rousing piece of music. And, and it, it comes it right at the end of the film and you're like, ah, oh, this is what it was all building up to. But right. I, I do and have to take you back a little bit because I really want to talk about this scene and where it ties into, you know, the events of the time. And one of those being the death of John Lennon. And oh, my God. He's a big John Lennon fan. And oh. he finally oh. uses music to connect to his son in the most beautiful scene in the movie. And oh, yeah, isn't it? let's talk. Can we talk about that? Because that I, I cry so, watching that. I, I must admit. You know, he, he has really a son me. who was not the son he wanted. He wanted a son that he could share his passion with. And his son taught him, Dad, you think I'm stupid. Mm. You think I don't know music. I know who John Lennon is. Because when John Lennon was shot, and I was actually interviewed on, I was working in Chicago at the time, and I was walking up to the building where I work, and there were reporters, and they stuck a mic in my face as they do when these things happen. They say, what right. do you think about the guy, John Lennon? And so I, that to me, that's how you found out. You know, when I, that took me back. That oh. scene took me back to that day when he was murdered. And so what he ended up doing was lights mm -hmm. with a beats and put your hand on the floor. And he said, with all sympathies <laughs> to John Lennon. And he's saying, yep. what did he sing? Beautiful what boy. What did he sing? Beautiful boy. Mm. And he was signing it. Yeah. This man who had resisted signing, who didn't want to learn it. In fact, his wife had said, you care more about your kids at school than you do about your own son. And he resisted signing. Hmm. he decided mm -hmm. I will learn and he learned how to sign the lyrics to the song yeah. beautiful beautiful boy yeah oh. what a scene oh, thank you for reminding me of that That's yeah. the, the movie is just so packed it is it really you, is there's a lot of other things we talk about and that's the really cool thing is our lives are layer upon layer upon layer and if we look at these movies from the lens of our own lives, they become so, so much more impactful than just entertainment. Yeah, so that's why that's my favorite. And we have one more film to talk about, Carmen, and this is the film that you think everyone should see. You know, I'll let you tell us what that film is and why does everyone need to see this movie? Awesome. Well, this movie is Rudy. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. A true story from the creators of Hoosiers. You ready, champ? 
I've been ready for this my whole life. And Rudy, if your audience has never seen it, shame on them. They must see it. <laughs> but Rudy is based on a true story of uh, Rudy. Rudiger was his last name. And he was a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. Using his life of what happened during this movie for the basis of a speech. And he has a little bit of a, uh, an ego. You can tell that. And he really thought his life deserved to be a movie. And so he was pitching it and trying to get someone to do it. And somehow he got Angelo's phone number, uh. the contact information. And he tries desperately to say, you got to do this. And it goes, no, 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 no. This guy was so annoying, would never give up. So he said, fine, I'll write a screenplay, knowing it wasn't going to get picked up because little known fact, he hated Notre Dame and he doesn't like football. Right. Okay. Yes. So he writes a screenplay about an institution he doesn't love, about a sport he doesn't enjoy (laughs) to get this man off his back. (laughs) Lo and behold, it's going to get picked up. Right. So the true star of Rudy is not Rudy. The true star is Notre Dame. Because for your listeners and viewers, this is a story about a young kid who grew up in a, um, um, working at a, a factory town. Yeah, like a mining town or something like that. Is it? It was yeah. factory. Yeah. They made stuff. And it was un- it was not glamorous work. You could get out by going to college if you were smart or if you could do sports. Hmm. He could do neither. He was like a D student. He was too small, but he loved football so much. And he had a dream of going to Notre Dame. Notre Dame, the number one football place to go if you were from Indiana and you are Catholic. And this family just bled Catholic. He told everyone I'm going. And in fact, he was going to go on a field trip. And they said, what are you getting on the bus for? Well, I'm going to go to Notre Dame for this field trip. Nah, you'll never get in. Every adult did not encourage him at all. No. Everyone treated him like, well, let's just go to the factory now because you're never going to amount to anything. His dad worked in the factory. His brothers worked in the factory. And everybody made fun of him because he said, I want to go to Notre Dame. Obviously, we find out later he wasn't stupid. He was dyslexic. Mm. And it never yeah. got diagnosed till he gets to college. Right. So here's a kid who failed everything in school. He wasn't anywhere near big enough to be a football player. He had no talent, but he had heart. He had passion. Oh, yeah. So he ends up at the factory with his best friend. And he's saving his money because one day, He's going to go to Notre Dame. There was a terrible, terrible accident. And his his friend fell into a vat of molten liquid and died. Yeah. That was the inciting incident. If not today, when? Yeah. Like Georgia Bird gets her Mm -hmm. diagnosis. You're dying of this terminal disease. He saw his best friend, the only friend who believed in him. Not his parents, not his brothers, not a teacher, no one but his friend. And now his friend's gone. He takes all of his money, like $1,000. He gets on a bus and he shows up and he waits in. And a a priest is there. And he goes, why are you here? Oh, I'm going to go here. And he thinks he's going to go to the junior college. Anyway. Yeah, it just walks up, yeah. (laughs) He goes, I'm going to show up. You don't just show up. Show up. (laughs) You don't just show up, but I want to go. No, you know. So the priest helps him enroll in the um, like a junior college, mm-hmm. and that's where he learns that he's dyslexic. He's not stupid, but he's it's hard. Oh yeah, and he meets a guy, John Favreau, who says, "You're good with girls, and I'm not. If you can get me dates, I'll tutor you." he did yep and little by little Mm -hmm. he's getting better and he's applying and he keeps coming back not yet Mm -hmm. not yet 
Yeah. And he has this great scene where he meets with the priest and he says, I've been working so hard. He says, well, have, have you tried to pray about it? Well, you know, you have a direct connection to God. You know, why don't you? And he goes, I've learned two things in life. There is a God and I'm not him. I love that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great yeah. You just have to keep working. And so he keeps working. Yeah. All the ankles working. And he even joins the booster club mm -hmm. and kind of pretends he's part of New York today when he's not. Yep. And the last time you can only you have to be admitted as a senior or as junior, but there's a cutoff, and it is his absolute last time that he can be admitted. Mm -hmm. And he knows it's not gonna happen. He's so discouraged that he can't believe when he gets the letter that says, "Yeah, he's going." To oh, I love that scene. You've never yeah. seen kid work so hard, yeah. but being in the school doesn't mean you're on the team. So now he needs to try out, and of course he's a laughing stock because he's too small. But as the coach said, I've never seen anybody with such heart. Yeah, and so he makes the team, and I don't know if you know about American football. A little bit, yeah. But there is a team, and those are the guys who are going to dress. They're going to get out on there. And then there's the other team, and they're basically tackling dummies. Yeah. <laughs> Your job is fodder for us. We're going to chew you up and spit you out. Yeah. And he makes all the rest of that B team look awful because mm. he keeps trying. Yeah. Like, You're showing us up. You're showing us up. And he goes, well, we're not your name. <laughs> and he just keeps getting beat up, mm. walked away, but he keeps trying and trying and trying. And he gets the eye of the coaches like, wait a minute. And the real, and we're going to shorten this because there's so much in this movie. Oh, but the yeah. mo it, it gets to that point where it's his senior year. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, when, when you're writing someone's life story, even when they're involved, mm -hmm. You have to follow the rules of movie making. It's called entertainment. And that coda I talked about, where I have to be highs and lows and ups and downs. The writers take liberty. The directors take liberty. And so when you're watching a movie like this, you don't take it all as gospel. It did not happen. Yeah. So the scene, of course, no one believes that he even goes to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. All the way back in the end. Nobody thinks he ever has a chance. There's no still really it's a There's tough, just so many tough college to get into, right? Yeah. It's a tough college. And the football team, you're never going to get on it if you haven't got talent. And so the coach, I think it was Parsesian, uh, tells him, You will suit up next year. I've never seen anybody with such heart. So he he unfortunately leaves the college. Mm -hmm. But you're going to get to go in. Yep. So he holds on to that, that he's going to play. The new guy, Coach Devine, said, no, you're not going to play. He's like, what would you do if you've worked that hard and yeah. it is the last game of the season? You've been told you'll suit up. Mm. And, and the new coach says no. Yes. This is where it takes off fact and fiction. Yeah, right. The true story is he played. The true story is the coach wasn't the bad guy. They convinced him, you know, it's art. So you have to be bad guys. Yeah. But when he saw it, he didn't realize what a bad guy he was. Because was, he was a bad guy. The way they set it up is he is so discouraged. You've done all this work for nothing. And he's talking to the janitor. He quits. He literally quits. And there's a janitor who's become his friend. And he said, I used to go here. Mm. I didn't get to play. He's got his little mom. Yeah. His whole career has been being a janitor at Notre Dame. He said, I didn't play. I thought it because I was black. I thought they were just racist. I blew my chance. Because I made an assumption about these people. Hmm. You really going to quit? Hmm. And so he goes back and he said, I don't quit. Yeah. But that doesn't get him on the field. And so, but no. he, he did 
play, but the way they framed it, the movie, because it's such a great story. Yes. He's <laughs> so discouraged because he's going to ride the bench again. Yeah. He's finally gotten his father to believe he's on the team. Because if I don't get to see you on Saturday on my little TV, little black and white TV, little color, whatever it is, I don't get to see you, you're not really on the team. Mm. That's how his father thought. Yep. His father and brother is really cute. You're not on. But he finally says, I'm going to play, Dad. I'm going to play. So he's got his family there for the first time ever supporting him. And now he's not going to play. But he has such heart. And so one of the team members goes up to the coach and he said, I want Rudy to have my spot. And he takes off his jerseys. Yeah. Something. An amazing moment. Next, the next, the next. And every team player who would normally be on the team said, Rudy, give him my spot. Give him my spot. Give yep. him my spot. And yep. the coach said, yes. And he got to play yep. in the very last. And he gets a sack. And he did. He got that sack for real. Yeah. And when he's, when he's, done, when he's not playing, the audience or the spectators, Rudy, Rudy, yeah, Rudy. That's right. They're cheering for him. They're cheering. And he gets on and he makes his dream yeah. of playing. Just to get out on that field, yeah. I think it was Joe Montana played on that team. Oh, right. And he said, yeah, they carried him off, but it was kind of in an ironic way. It was like three jokers. It really wasn't the way that they framed it. So yeah. it's really yeah. interesting if you go to IMDb and read some of the backstory yeah. of what happened right. and where fact turns into fiction and back to fact. Yeah. But the cool thing about this movie, and the reason I think everybody should watch it, and it's really funny because when I tell people that's the movie you should watch, I hate football. <laughs> which is hard because now I live in Packer country because, you know, they, you know, Packers. But I'm, I'm not a football person. I'm not a sports person. Yeah. But I love, love, love underdog movies. Yeah. I love, under nobody does underdog movies better than sports. Oh, of course. Yeah. I will watch any <laughs> underdog movie. I don't care how bad it is. I will watch it. I will not watch a game, but I will watch an underdog movie. Yeah. And this is the best of the best underdog movies. Absolutely. It's right up there. Yeah. You got a kid that's too small. He's dyslexic. He doesn't know how to learn. Nobody believes in him at all. Mm. And yet he does it. He never gives up. Yeah. He does it. And he parlayed that to an entire career. Yeah. Where he gets on stage and he motivates people to follow their dream, to see what's within them, mm. to do. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter how many no's you get. The answer within you has to be yes. And he did that playing and he did that for a career and he did that to get a movie made about him <laughs> by a writer who doesn't like football and couldn't stand Notre Dame. Yeah. Story. Yeah, he was, he kind of won every little battle in the end, in the end. yeah. To get his, yeah, to get and, and, and um, Sean Aston played that role, and that's a name that we probably know better because of Lord of the Rings. Of course, yep, yep. And so when we think, and that was Patty Dukesan, is who he mm. is. Yep. And obviously, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is just it's just Rudy mm -hmm. in in different clothing with yeah. Elfie, whatever. Pretty much, it's the same story. Yeah, absolutely. It's the hero's think journey, about it. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, the, yeah, the hero's journey. And I, I love that. We're digressing, but I love it when he said, I can't do it. I can't. I will carry you. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do in life. That's we're right. supposed to do that. We're supposed to be yeah. the, the football player that's the team captain mm -hmm. that says, I will do it for you. I will give up my place for you. I will give up my place. Yeah, you know when we look, I I love these movies because you don't even have to be spiritual to see the spiritual. Yeah, because that football player that said, "I will do this for you," that's exactly if you have a belief in Christianity, that football player is just as great as Jesus on the cross saying, "I will take away your sins." Right? Yeah, 
Yeah, we should see this throughout, you know, the theme of sacrificial love Mm -hmm. can be seen because obviously when he got on that team, they all thought he was a joke. Yeah. And eventually they get his They said, I will sacrifice my last game because these seniors, these people who played, they didn't just, you know, in the setup, they weren't just sacrificing a spot. They were sacrificing their last senior game. Yeah. This is your last senior game and you're giving it up. And they'd played so many games before. So they're like, all right, you know what, let him on. And he's only on for like a few minutes or something. (laughs) Yeah, but still, but still, I mean, this is your senior year. I just think it's just such a great representation of how we're supposed to treat people. Yeah. And I I mean, and I love when the janitor says, I think his name was Fortune. He said, I gave up everything because I thought they hated me. Mm. We think that, right? We yeah, think, we make assumptions, yeah. We make assumptions about what you think about me, and you don't think that about me, but we think it about ourselves. Yeah. It's interesting where I live now because moving from Hawaii, which is so diverse yeah. with every color of the rainbow, and now I live in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where I have many, many days when I never see a person who looks like me. It's a very interesting experience where mm. I get to walk around thinking that song from Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) It's a very funny experience. And I could let myself go to that place where I think I didn't get that, that didn't happen because of the color of my skin. Mm. But we can't can't do that anymore. Because honestly, it doesn't matter. But if it, it matters, if we think it matters. So we got to power through that. We're going to find people who are bullies. We're going to find people who are racist. We're going to find people who don't believe in us. Mm. But just move on. Yeah. Because you're better than that. We're better than that. And the only opinion about ourselves that matters is our own, right? Yeah. Everybody should watch that movie because he believed in himself when nobody else did. But he also ended up having a tribe of people around him mm-hmm. that were the most unlikely people to believe in him. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, the friend that wanted to use him because he could pick up girls, a janitor that people don't even think has any value at all, yeah. a Catholic priest, you know, all these people yep. that were the unlikely people to believe in him, the star player on a football team. Yeah, yeah. We find support in the least likely of places. Oh, so true. Yeah. And and I tell that when I when I do uh, book coaching, and I'll say first of all, and then even entrepreneur coaching, I go first of all, just get used to your family and friends not believing in you. Mm -hmm. If they do, it's it's a bonus. But if you're gonna put your hope in the fact that people believe in you that you think will, you're Mm -hmm. gonna be sorry disappointed. Just just decide that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It makes all the difference, you know, and that means yeah. you're not wasting those opportunities and you can be in the right place at the right time and and you know, you you'll take you'll you'll grab it, you know, and, and which he does, yeah. you know, which he does. And I remember watching the trailer for this film and, and back when trailers had the voiceover <laughs> and uh, which I miss. And I think the voiceover said sometimes a, a real winner is a dreamer who just doesn't quit. Yeah. That was yeah, the I love that. And I love that. And that I is so I true. had that written up on my but, wall for a while. Yeah, I love it. But but what I love about all three of these movies is every every one of the main characters had a dream that they knew was not going to get realized. Yeah. Mm. Every single one of them. That's right. George said, thing, I'll right? never own a restaurant. I'll never get the guy. She got it. Mr. Holland, I will never write my opus. I will never be famous. He got it. Mm. Rudy, I will never go to New- everybody said I'll never go. And he went and he yeah. played. Yeah. That's what I love about the magic of movies. Absolutely. Is that in some way or another, the character gets what they want. Sometimes you'll get movies where they don't get what they want, but they get what they need. And I think right. in Mr. Holland's opus, he didn't initially get what he wanted. And he was trying so hard to grab that, but he got what he needed 
right? All these things. Which ultimately was what he wanted. Exactly, which led him to it get It just what he comes wanted. to yeah. us in different ways. Yeah, and we don't recognize it, but it's it's right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how much fun. Thank you. Thank you, wow. Carmen. Yeah. I am so honored you let me be guest number 19 or whatever I am. <laughs> it's so much fun. No, it's been great. And like just your knowledge and passion for these films has been fantastic. And just the way you've talked about them, like a true storyteller. And I think it's it's made a fantastic episode. And, uh, you know, I hope everyone watching this has really enjoyed it and connected with these films. Well, you have a lot of editing to do because we went long. <laughs> yes, so I'm going to have to have a think about that. But no, look, um, I won't do too much editing. I think I'll just let people know it's a it's a long episode. But, um, yeah, it's a fun episode. There's so I mean, much I good stuff like. in there. there was yeah, that's why I call my, I mean, I used to say I'm a writer, speaker. No, I'm a storyteller. It doesn't matter the mode. Mm -hmm. I live and breathe story. I tell stories with food. I tell story with music. I tell story with written words, spoken word. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I love movies so much because movies are story. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we all have our own story yep. to tell. That's right. We can find ourselves in other people's stories and, and solve our problems by looking at what characters do. So yeah, you know, cru so crucial to life, aren't they, movies, you know, and, um, you know, always up there above television, I think. Uh, that's just my opinion, but <laughs> I think there's more power and impact in movies than TV. Uh, TV has its place in everything. I'm not dissing yeah. And I think, we, you know, we can look back on some gems, but okay. I think in general, movies, yeah. Yeah, that's where the magic is, yeah. And thank you, Karen, so much for being on My Movie Story. It's been a pleasure talking to you, getting to know you, uh, hearing your story and your passion for these films. Um, yeah, it's been great. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, well, it has been my honor. Thank you. Anytime. Great. I'm sure we might see you back in the future. That's just a little, All right. a little hint for our guests. Carmen might be back. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Take care.